everybody, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Jennifer Williams, also with the Department of Communication. I'll be Dan's co-host for today. Today, we're hopefully going to put you to sleep as we discuss the importance of sleep on your overall health. Now, before we get into that, make sure you stay awake long enough to listen to any episodes of The Wrap you may have missed, including a bonus episode earlier this week on mental illness, and why addressing it needs to become a bigger priority in our society. You can find all of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher Play, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. Episodes can also be found on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines we can review. And on that note, let's welcome Dr. Leslie Swanson, a sleep psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry. Dr. Swanson, thanks so much for being here today. Hi, Jen. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on today. And I'm really pleased to be talking about my favorite topic in the world, which is sleep, but also hopefully not to put anyone to sleep during this podcast. That's also my goal. Well, yes, the goal is to put them to sleep afterwards, right? Afterwards, not right now. Exactly. To encourage naps. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to go take a nap. (laughs) I can encourage naps. Yes. After this is done. (laughs) Now, World Sleep Day was celebrated last week. Why is sleep so important to our health? We, first of all, happy World Sleep Day, everyone. And we have an entire worldwide day devoted to celebrating sleep because sleep is a basic biological need. It's like our need to eat food, our need to drink water, our need to breathe oxygen, but we don't treat it that way, I think. As a society, we tend to treat it like something that's optional. And so we have a day to recognize the importance of sleep, but it is something that we hopefully are doing every night. And the reason why we're hopefully doing it every night is because our bodies don't function well and our brains don't function well if we're not getting good sleep. There are many specific biological processes that can only occur during sleep. So these are things like boosting our immune system, repairing our cells, balancing metabolic uh, hormones, which control appetite and weight. It helps to take the trash out in our brains. It helps us to form new pathways uh, for learning, helps us to process emotions along with many other things. My husband knows firsthand that if I don't get my sleep, then we may not have a good day. You get cranky. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) So what trends have you seen regarding sleep across the pandemic? In general, what I've seen is that it depends on whether someone is a frontline worker and they have to be working outside of the home or if they're working from home. We did a study recently led by one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Deirdre Conroy, where we surveyed uh, people who are working in the healthcare field to see what was going on with their sleep and what changes had occurred in their sleep before and after the pandemic started. And not surprisingly, we found that people who were working outside of the home were sleeping less and uh, were working more hours. People who were uh, staying at home and working from home were actually going to bed later, waking up later and sleeping more. And in general, I think what we're seeing is that for people who are able to work from home, they're sleeping closer to when their natural body clock wants them to sleep as opposed to what the clock on the wall says. And that can be good for some people, especially night owls to be able to have that flexibility. At the same time, we're also seeing a lot of people experiencing insomnia and difficulty with sleep because the pandemic is stressful. And that's certainly impacting uh, people's ability to, to get good night's rest when they're, they're stressed. All right, now we want to encourage peace in Jen's home. So what are some of the tips <laughs> you most often give to patients who are struggling to get enough 
good quality sleep? You know, what are some behaviors that are the low hanging fruit that we could try even tonight? Yeah, I think the first thing is to take a look at how much time you're devoting to sleep. Are you giving yourself enough opportunity to sleep? And if that's not the case, find ways to build in more time to protect your sleep. If that is the case, if you are giving yourself enough time to sleep, there's a few things that you can do that may help you to have better quality sleep. The first thing is to keep a fixed wake time seven days a week. So every day of the week, waking up at the same time and getting into light, ideally sunlight, but if you can't get into sunlight, you know, turn all the lights on in your, in your house so that you're getting good bright light first thing after you wake up. And that really helps to send a strong signal to the body clock that it's time to be awake and that helps it to keep time then so that you're ready for bed when you want to be or need to be. And I know that's not a popular thing to say. To, to and say, don't to... turn the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, turn the lights on. And don't deviate more than an hour on the weekends uh, if you do sleep in. So keeping that wake time fixed is important. The other thing if we're talking about light is to be careful about light at night. We know that one of the things that helps us to sleep is our brain secreting the hormone melatonin. That's called a darkness hormone or a night hormone because it can only be released in dim light. So to prime our brains and our bodies for sleep, we want to be in dim light about 90 minutes before our desired or habitual bedtime. This means you have to be careful also about using light emitting devices like tablets and phones. If you can, if you have to use them, dim them all the way down to the lowest possible setting. You can also think about getting a relatively inexpensive, I think they're 10 or $12 pair of blue blocking glasses. You wanna look for one that has an amber or orange lens and that wraps around your eyes so that it covers up most of your, most of your um, eye area with the lens. And that can help so that you're not getting uh, bioactive levels of light too close to bedtime. A few other things to consider is to not go to bed until you're sleepy because we can't force ourselves to sleep. It's not a switch that we can turn off and on. If it was, I wouldn't have a job. So wait until you're sleepy and then get into bed. Uh, and try to build in a, buf a buffer zone, what we call a wind down time, about an hour before you go to bed where you're not working, you're doing something quiet, you're doing something relaxing, we're not built to go from 60 miles an hour to zero, and that buffer zone can help us um, get to a place where we're more relaxed and able to fall asleep. And then a final uh, tip I have is to not try to sleep. So if you're having trouble sleeping, get out of bed and go do something else, quiet, relaxing, dim light, and don't go back to bed until you're feeling sleepy. Again, we can't force ourselves to sleep, and when we try to sleep, it can actually make things worse and keep us awake. Um, a lot of people at Michigan Medicine work a variety of different shifts. Um, for someone who might be outside of the classic nine to five or on a different or on different shifts on different days, like what is the best way to approach sleep? Different can be really challenging for sleep and it can be a major issue for someone who's working, especially rotating shifts where it's not a consistent shift. Let me start off by saying in an ideal world, if you are a shift worker, you'd be sleeping on the same schedule, regardless of whether or not you were working um, a shift, but I know that's not always possible. So when that's not possible, what we recommend is that people try to do gradual shifts. So not shifting their time in bed by more than an hour per night when they get, go back on shift, if they have a few days off of shift. Um, or to try something that we call anchor sleep, which is to keep a four hour block of sleep consistent seven days a week. Uh, and that can help because it's hard for our circadian system to do huge shifts 
beyond that period of time. If none of that is possible, and that may be the case for some people, think about ways to make your sleep environment really clean. And that means really dark, wear an eye mask. I'm a big fan of darkening shades on the windows, earplugs, white noise machines, so that you're not hearing the noises outside and make your bedroom as cool as you can make it. You wanna pay attention to light. So on your way home from work, if you're hoping to sleep soon after, wear really dark sunglasses. Think about those blue blocking glasses that, that might, those might help. Um, so really minimizing light on, on your way home from work. Sometimes a small dose of melatonin between one and three milligrams can help people who are shift workers to sleep. Think about light exposure during the, your shift as well. So I also often recommend that people take what I call a light break throughout the day. So if they're indoors to get outside for about 20 minutes, that can help. If the sun's out, that can help. Even if it's cloudy, as long as it's night, uh, nighttime, that can help to, uh, to set the, the clock and keep you alert and awake during your shift. Um, or to think about using a light box or some light glasses uh, throughout the shift that can help with alertness as well. So how is sleep connected to the overall, your overall mood and wellness? You know, can, can poor sleep be a cause of it or an effect of fatigue and burnout? Yeah, burnout and, and sleep are really closely linked. And I think they're really a two-way street. Certainly we know that if you're not getting good sleep, that is one of the biggest predictors of burnout is it, essentially if you're getting less than six hours of sleep per night, that is one of the best predictors of, of burnout for someone. At the same time, if someone's really stressed at work, you have a lot of stress hormones going through your body and those stress hormones make it hard for you to sleep at night. And we know that stress is a major trigger for insomnia. So I really think it is a two-way street. Um, and for many people, the not sleeping can lead to burnout, can lead to more difficulty sleeping and it becomes a vicious cycle. Well, I think a lot of that, you know, one thing I notice is when I can't sleep, I start to worry that I can't sleep. Yes. And then that makes it even harder to fall asleep, right? <laughs> yes, and that, yes. I think that sort of points to one of those tips you gave where if you're not sleeping, just get out of bed, right? And don't try. Exactly. Get out of bed. Don't try. We, I often tell my patients that I don't want them doing any kind of mental arithmetic in bed. If you're thinking in bed, that means you should probably get out of bed and go do something else. How do you know whether you should ask your doctor about sleep and your sleeping habits? Like, when do you know? Yeah. So there's a variety of reasons why I would say if you're having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or you're waking up too early, and this has been the case for a few weeks or more, talk to your doctor. If you're snoring, you should talk to your doctor. If you're sleepy during the daytime and you can't maintain alertness, talk to your doctor. All right, I know so I that... can't go to Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend talking to your doctor before you go to Starbucks. <laughs> Just jokes. I have kids, so you know I need that afternoon boost. <laughs> yes. um, Caffeine I... is good at at the right time. It's good. <laughs> there's a time and a place for it. Exactly. Yeah. All right, we're going to cover a topic that I know that you have a lot of thoughts on. So the U.S. Senate recently passed a bill to make daylight saving time permanent. Now, obviously, it still has to be approved by the House, so we're not sure if that's going to happen. But how could this impact us here in Michigan? I have a lot of strong thoughts about this topic, and I know many of my sleep colleagues do as well. Let me first start off by saying that it would be fantastic for many reasons for all of us humans who live in the United States of America to never have to change our clocks again, to keep the same clock time year round. But if we switch to permanent daylight savings time, we're going the wrong way. 
we are especially going the wrong way in Michigan, in part because of where Michigan is located in the Eastern time zone. We're located on the Western edge of the time zone. And if we stay on daylight savings time, we're gonna have sunrises after 9 a.m. on some winter mornings. And that's really detrimental to our health because we know that morning light is, is critically important for helping us to set our body clocks for the day, to uh, wake up and to then also the dimmer light in the evening to be able to fall asleep at night. There is a lot of scary data that showing that living on the Western edge of a time zone as we do in Michigan is linked to a shorter lifespan because it contributes to many serious health problems like obesity, cancer, heart disease, compared to even one county over that's on a different time zone. And that's because we're getting the sun later uh, in the day, it starts later and it ends later. And that's actually bad for our bodies. And it leads to a mismatch between the clock on the wall and the clock in our brain. Um, I have uh, a recent example um, of how much like the sun like even affected my husband and I, we traveled to Puerto Rico um, at the end of February and we, the sun rose around like six, I think I, I want to say it was like 6.30 or 7. Mm -hmm. um, but like we, when we woke up, it was like, oh, like the sun is shining. We could still catch the sunrise. Um, Cause I don't think it was like fully, you know, risen by that time. And it just felt so like, I don't know, like inspiring in a sense of, it was like, okay, like, let's go work out. Let's go have breakfast. You know, let's start the day. And then the sun set around like six third, like six, six thirty in the evening. And it was like such a smooth transition into yeah. dinner and, you know, like getting ready for dinner and kind of starting the, the evening portion. Um, and then we came back home and here, you know, we came back home and we, we uh, switched to the daylight savings time. And now I'm waking up at 6.30 and it's dark outside. And I'm like, where's the sun? And even though it is, we do get the sunlight later, later in the day, but that also throws my son off who is three years old. And it's like daylight at eight o'clock and it's like, <laughs> oh, you gotta go to bed, you know? So I would much rather have the sun like on the, on, on the earlier part of the day yeah, it really is jarring like when you know at the middle of june when it's like 10 o'clock mm -hmm. and it's not fully dark out at night yeah. you know and it's like yeah. my body's tired it wants to go to <laughs> right. bed but why yeah. is it still light outside <laughs> and i you know i lived for 15 years in chicago and that's on sort of the opposite situation mm -hmm. where it's on the far eastern edge of the central time zone so in the dead of winter at 3.30, it's starting to get dark out which also is jarring to the body you know and it's it does really show you know how much of an impact sunlight and time like this you would think this human construct has on the body and sort of the way that you interpret things and, and whether you know you're happy sad tired awake things like that it's kind of fascinating do you it, think that people sorry i don't mean to cut you no, off, go ahead. but do you think that that people even though it's like it's great to have like sunlight at seven eight o'clock do you think that people don't quite understand why that's why that's not as good even though you think you may want it whereas you know if the sun rises at six o'clock the birds are chirping it's like that's you know that's a sign to get your day started without a doubt I think people do not understand why from a sleep and circadian perspective that evening light is really bad for you it 
it, it's, it can be something when we think about, hey, we can go golfing later, or I can go for a run later on at night, uh, or I can continue to shop. I know for the economy, that's a reason why people are considering this. But at the end of the day, it's, it's very detrimental to our health for us to have evening light. Electricity has introduced this in a very big way as well, I think, um, and, and to our detriment. And evening light is really quite bad for us, even though it might be fun <laughs> sometimes. Uh, in general, it's, it's bad for our health. And I, I think people don't appreciate that uh, and what it does to our, the clock in our brain. And it definitely makes it harder for us to sleep. Finally, are there any common myths you hear about sleep that you'd like to bust? For example, um, can you catch up on sleep over the weekends? Do some people just need less sleep than others? Like, you know, those executives who say they only need four hours of sleep and that's why they're billionaires um, or like are naps like a good idea or a bad idea? Yeah, these are really, I think, important myths to bust as someone who, who studies sleep and works with patients. The first question is about catch-up sleep. And unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but catch-up sleep doesn't work the way we might want it to or think that it does. In theory, it's possible to catch up on sleep if you're deprived of sleep, but for every one hour of sleep debt, you have to have four nights of sleep to make up for it. So it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. And Sleeping in later on the weekends to catch up on lost sleep, if you sleep more than an hour past your usual wake time, can cause what we call social jet lag. So your circadian timing system is shifted. And then going into the work week, your brain is on California time, but your body is in the Eastern time zone. And it actually takes three days for us to get back on track. And what that does is ultimately perpetuate the cycle of sleep deprivation and you're, you're never actually catching up. So in general, I don't recommend that people use catch up sleep on the weekends as a strategy to get more sleep. The next question, or sorry. How to make us billionaires. Yes. <laughs> yes. How, to, how to make everyone a billionaire. Yes. I hate, again, I hate to say this, but it's not by sleeping less. <laughs> it is definitely not by sleeping less. There are, I, I think the number of people who can get by with less than six hours sleep per night is like between my fingers is, is that many people. I mean, it's, it's so few people. Most of us, almost every person on this planet needs between six and nine hours of sleep consistently. Uh, there's a very few number of people who probably have a, actually a specific genetic condition um, that enables them to sleep less than that. So in all likelihood, these people who are billionaires, they're not getting there by sleeping less than six hours. A night. I don't recommend that. I also want to mention that an interesting thing about sleep deprivation is that uh, you, if you're sleep deprived, it actually makes it harder for you to judge your level of impairment, kind of like drinking alcohol. So we don't recognize that we're impaired by sleep deprivation when it occurs. And are naps a good idea or a bad idea? Like, do we need a siesta? <laughs> I think I, I am a fan of the idea of a siesta <laughs> for the right person under the right circumstances. If you're someone who doesn't have trouble sleeping at night, a nap can be good for you if you time it right and you don't sleep for too long. We see that napping in the afternoon for no more than half an hour can make you feel more alert. It can make you more productive. And in general, it's, it's probably good for you. The ideal timing is about six hours after your habitual or usual wake time. So for most people, that's in the mid-ish afternoon. So you just want to be careful about timing because if you take a nap too early or too late in the day, it can impact your sleep at night. 
And then I also tell everyone to set an alarm when they're taking a nap for 30 minutes, because if you sleep longer than that, your brain can get into some stages of sleep that makes it really hard for you to wake from. And also it makes your sleep poor quality at night. Before yeah, I sense. had kids and, you know, like college time and like early twenties, it was like, oh, I can take a nap, you know, when I get home from work, wake up at nine o'clock. And then it's like, ah, you know, it's bedtime. But like now, yeah. you know, as I have, you know, a lot more things to just do during the day um, and a real job, um, it's like napping for that 30 minutes. Like, oh my gosh, it's, it's such a, if I need it, or even on the weekends, like setting that alarm clock and like, you know, waking up it, I just feel so much more energized, um, as opposed to sleeping for like two, three hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. more sluggish if I do that. Yeah. 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 So then your brain's getting into the deep stages of sleep and that your brain doesn't like to wake up from that stage no. of sleep. It's it gets hard. mad at you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Swanson, for giving us these tips and information about sleep your work isn't quite done yet. Every week we get to know our guests a little bit better by asking them four quick fire questions as part of the lightning round. So you ready to go? Let's go. All right. So we've talked a lot about sleep. So what's your favorite way to wind down at the end of a long day? I really like to read. And lately I've been reading um, hard copy book. So for a while I was using my iPad to read. And then I thought I'm spending so much time on a screen during this pandemic. Let me actually buy physical books. So reading with a book and a book lamp so that I'm not getting overhead light into my face is my favorite way to wind down at night. I like it. All right. Now, Jen just recently talked about her vacation back in February. What would be your dream vacation? That's a really good question, and I'm going to sound very provincial when I answer this question, but I love the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I'm, I'm not a native Michiganer, but I discovered the Upper Peninsula uh, when I moved here, and it is, to me, one of the most amazing places on the planet. Last summer, we went to Taquamanon Falls for the first time, and it was amazing. Yeah. So highly recommend. Place. Yeah. Both the University of Michigan men's and women's basketball teams have been participating in March Madness for the past week or so. Um, are you interested in sports? And if so, what's your favorite sport? And if not, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite sport is college football. That's actually the only sport that I watch. I went to graduate school at the University of Alabama, so I roll tide. Ooh, but ooh. I work for University <laughs> of Michigan, so I also go blue. Those, those two things can go together. They almost came I, together I, in the playoff this year. I know, I know. Sadly, let's, they didn't. Let's not they talk about that. Um, <laughs> I prefer when they don't play each other. That's yes. better. Fair enough. All right, finally, it's uh, we're, we're wrapping up recognition month. Who would you say has been your biggest mentor or supporter in your career? I have to give a shout out to Dr. Todd Arnett, who is the co-director of the lab in which I work, which is the Sleep and Circadian Research Laboratory he has been my mentor since I started my postdoctoral fellowship in 2007, and he's just been a fantastic all-around mentor in terms of making sure that my career is progressing, but also that uh, personally I'm doing okay, especially as the pandemic has started. So I want to give him appreciation. Awesome. Thanks again, Dr. Swanson, for participating in our lightning round and for sharing your knowledge about sleep. If you want to learn more about the importance of sleep, visit mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. While you're there, check out other featured stories from this past week. For instance, there was a look back at Match Day and a celebration of child life at Michigan Medicine, which recently celebrated its 100th anniversary. 
Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org. Okay, Daniel. So we asked Dr. Swanson how she likes to wind down at the end of the day. What's your best way to relax after work? So I would want to say, like Dr. Swanson said, reading, but um, I haven't really <laughs> been able to get into the, the habit of it. And I really want to, I love doing it. But the problem is, I think with me is like, I read nonfiction pretty much exclusively. And it's just sort of, it's very heavy or very dense and things like that. You know, I'm reading 600 page biographies and things like that. So it's just hard to sort of get into the rhythm of it. Um, so I would say I want to do that. Um, I tend to, um, my wife and I love watching like documentaries on TV. So we'll do that a lot at night. Um, and we, we had for a while during the pandemic gotten into true crime. But so what we would do is we would watch true crime and then we would cleanse our palate a little bit with like an episode of like Golden Girls or Mary Tyler Moore or something like that, sort of like a fun classic sitcom. Um, so that's sort of the, uh, what, what we like to do sort of on a daily basis. What about you? Um, some days, you know, my husband and I are like catch up on our shows. Um, so we'll spend a couple hours kind of watching TV and then other days it's more so like getting the kids to bed, you know, kind of getting in my bedtime routine, like shower, brush teeth, you know, I may or may not pick up a book depending on how tired I am. Um, but now after this conversation today, um, I don't know, I'm, we might like light a candle and, you know, read a book and, you know, really like take advantage of this wind down time for, you know, she said 90 minutes. Um, so I don't know, I'll talk to my husband about it and see how we can kind of, uh, you know, um, create the the environment to get like better sleep yeah dr swanson do you ever feel pressure to like have the perfect like bedtime routine like as a sleep that's what doctor? i'm thinking now i'm yeah. like oh my gosh like, like you have to follow well, your advice yeah. right I, I get that question a lot and i i have to say i keep my sleep hygiene really clean because i know the difference it makes and it's i'm sort of nerdy and kind of embarrassing that way but it's my sleep hygiene is really good that's awesome all right, well, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Last week, we asked listeners, what day was Giving Blue Day held at the University of Michigan? The answer was March 16th. Congratulations to Sharon Mikos, who sent in the correct answer. Now for this week's question, here's Jen. This week's question is, how many UM medical students learned their residency destination on match day? Once again, how many UM medical students learned their residency destination on match day? You can find the answer in this week's headline story. And once you know it, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you, Dr. Swanson, for joining us. And thanks, as always, to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.